Welcome to the MHI Cast, the show where we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover their supply chain stories. We explore real-world case studies and get unique perspectives on key trends and emerging technologies from every corner of the material handling, logistics, and supply chain space. Hello and welcome to MHI Cast. Uh, in this episode, we speak with Jim Tompkins. Jim is the founder and CEO of Tompkins International. And later on in the podcast, we also speak with Ken Ruedentz, the manager of distribution at Domatic. Hey, Jim, thanks for being with us. Let's jump right in. Uh, you know, we've been seeing a trend in companies moving towards localized manufacturing for quite a few years now. Uh, in your opinion, why are we seeing more and more of these organizations doing this? Of course, I've always been interested in bringing manufacturing home when that results in the most economical solution that's feasible. Economic solutions tend to really focus in on the cost of labor. And so as automation has come along and as robotics have come along, the opportunity for automation has become greater, which does not have a high labor cost content. It does not require high labor availability. And so therefore, what we saw pre-pandemic was some interest in bringing stuff back that was manufacturing that was automated or could be automated, or we could use robotics. COVID-19 is prompting more companies to consider localized manufacturing than ever before. Why do you think there's an increased need for this during the pandemic? What's happened since the pandemic is there's two specific topics that have even uh, highlighted the need for uh, localized manufacturing more. And those are in pharmaceuticals, and that's in um, things that have uh, food content. And what we're finding is the pandemic, COVID-19, had a major impact on the desire to reshore, to bring home um, critical medical supplies. In fact, President Trump has signed an executive order that says those things will be made here. Okay, so with this massive increase in how much companies actually need to produce, what does the future look like for localized manufacturing? What we see is a huge return of pharmaceutical. Um, in fact, I probably have had four conversations in the last two weeks with pharmaceutical and medical device people that want to bring manufacturing back to the United States. And what they're interested in is, is how do we automate it? How do we use robotics to get that job done? The new North American uh, trade agreement, the U.S., Canadian, and Mexico trade agreement, which went into effect July 1st, that is going to result in a lot more nearshoring. Instead of people taking China manufacturing and trying to go to other places in Southeast Asia or Africa, they're going to bring it back to Mexico. And so what we're going to find is a lot more cross-border, which is kind of localized um, uh, for both pharma and for food, uh, for both of those. Do you think localized manufacturing has the potential to help North America uh, recover from the economic downturn that the pandemics brought? Absolutely. It's going to make a big contribution because when we uh, bring those jobs and they're not um, manufacturing jobs, um, these are technology jobs. And so instead of having 50 people working on the floor of the factory uh, making $20, $25 an hour, what we're going to have is 10 people making uh, $80,000, $90,000 a year, the engineers and the implementers and the maintainers of the automation. It's going to 
stay and it's not just going to be a you know six month thing this is going to stay and and it's going to be uh i think good for the country and good for north america so as more manufacturing takes place in north america it stands to reason that presumably more distribution will take place here as well ken if we could toss to you uh, were you seeing a rise in localized distribution before the onset of the pandemic? Well, what's uh, very interesting about all this is that pre-pandemic, Dematic was already experiencing and seeing with our, our uh, users a trend towards two major things. One, <laughs> localized distribution and more localized and reshoring of manufacturing. So those both those trends were gaining traction and we were really focused and responding to those needs. And then the pandemic hit and just totally accelerated it. Accelerated it uh, dramatically, especially in the distribution side of it. You mentioned that COVID-19 dramatically accelerated the localization of distribution. Can you also talk a bit more about how that happened? On the distribution side, the huge increase in the use of e-commerce because closure of a lot of the retailing um, was something that just made e-commerce, which was already on a almost a, a close to, uh, well, it was a, definitely a double-digit growth every year. Now it was even it doubled again, you know, whatever that rate was. So we in the supply chain and the distribution and the warehousing uh, business are really, really dealing with strong demand right now for, for solutions to, to get the job done. What do some of these solutions look like? Uh, in, in other words, how are supply chains localizing to meet the distribution needs of the public right now? Micro-fulfillment is the ideal solution for what's happening in the world with regarding the pandemic and having the order picked very close to where the, the need is, in other words, where it needs to be delivered to or picked up from. And then it also can do it with absolute you know, rapidity on speed, right? So the, the the whole thing about, in the case of groceries, uh, we're talking typically a couple hour window uh, that this has to all occur. So the order has to be placed, the way it has to go into a software system for order planning to plan the order so that how are we going to efficiently pick all these orders? Let's say we get a uh, hundred orders in one hour in one distribution or one grocery store that has to be picked. Well, which one are we going to pick first and how are we going to do this effectively? Well, we have software that arranges this to occur extremely um, efficiently. And then it has to be done in a small footprint because these retail stores really don't have that much room to take up in the back room because that's where the, the actual system typically resides for micro fulfillment. The other thing that it does that plays totally to the pandemic side is that now I have these pickers that are picking my order. They're not having to go out onto the floor and compete and interfere with all the other shoppers who are have gone to the store with their masks on, uh, dreading being there, right? At least at the beginning they were. And here comes people from um, that are picking orders uh, for the pickup, and they're they're uh, 
just causing more traffic and interference. So now we have these people in the back room, totally separated from each other, working, co-working as with the robotics and the automation in a really compact footprint. So the the bottom line is uh, it doesn't take but a few people to operate these small regional distribution centers uh, called micro-fulfillment. Do you have any ideas about what the future of localized distribution will look like? The typical automation that's used is um, typically generically called a shuttle type system, which is a a robotic device that transports the inventory in and out of storage and, and serves it up to an order fulfillment picking individual. So that your your staff, in other words, we'll see this more in the future. Is then the use of actually picking robots. So uh, robotic devices that uh, versus the shuttle, which is a different type of robotic. This would be more of a traditional robotic arm that actually picks the item from a bin and puts it into an order container. So what we'll see is uh, a, a trend probably going to be more like cobots, where there's going to be some people and some robotics, and then moving further down into the future, that would be more fully robotic. Okay, for businesses that want to integrate localized distribution into their day-to-day processes, how do you recommend that they start? Or what sort of structure could they consider? You'd have maybe a um, more of a centralized distribution center, and you can also have a regional distribution center, and then you could have these micro-fulfillment centers and um, maybe do a mix of all of that. Uh, so maybe those the centralized and regional distribution centers are focused on replenishing the retail stores, and while the micro-fulfillment centers could be replenished from the regional or, dis- or centralized distribution center, but the, the micro-fulfillment centers are, all, are doing only the e-commerce or orders taken over the web for store pickup or home delivery. The key to to all of this is to do this complex order fulfillment with fewer uh, people. We just need to do it more efficiently with less labor, lower the cost, and use automation to get us there. The other ingredient is that it has to be extremely high density because we're talking about very limited amount of floor space. All right. Now that we've discussed both localized manufacturing and distribution, do either of you have any final thoughts for industry professionals who are working through this pandemic right now? What kind of best practices would you offer? Before the pandemic, grocery in the United States was about two and a half percent of all grocery was done online. When we were talking about two, three percent of the stuff that goes to a grocery store being done online, no one was doing repackaging because it didn't matter. You're going to repackage something for two percent. But now um, I believe we're going to drop below 30 percent. But I think we're going to be we're going to stabilize at around 28 percent. And at 28 percent, it's going to be justifiable to change the packaging on the stuff so you can automate it and use automated uh, systems and robots. And so the key is not what the item is specifically, but how it is packaged. And so as volumes grow, we're going to find packaging changed. In 1987, there was a U.S. Army uh, study that was done to look at what's going to happen to the world when the Berlin Wall falls when the Soviet Union falls, when the Cold War is over. 
And they said there's going to be such a tremendous shock to the system that the government and the business officials aren't even going to be able to understand how to make decisions. They came up with the term VUCA, V-U-C-A, Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and Ambiguity. VUCA is bigger now than anything that happened with respect to the Berlin Wall, Soviet Union, or the Cold War. We don't know what's going to happen next. We have this uncertainty. When is the pandemic going to be done? When are we going to have back to normal? What is the new normal? What is the next normal? What's going to happen? And so with this amount of VUCA taking place, we need to look at designing solutions differently. We cannot assume the data we're looking at is accurate. In fact, to the contrary, the data we're looking at is probably inaccurate. And so what we need to do is not to optimize based on the specific data that's giving, but instead we need to establish options. We need to develop optionality. What are the pivot points that would allow us to go in this direction, but if this happens, we're going to pivot and go this way. If this happens, we're going to pivot and go this way. And so it's not optimizing, but it's optionizing our solutions so that the solutions can be viable as we go forward in this VUCA world. Okay, gentlemen, as we wind to a close here, want to extend a thank you to the both of you. Appreciate you so much being a part of this uh, effort and for educating the MHI supply chain community. Thank you for listening to this MHI cast featuring Ken Ruerdens and Jim Tompkins. At MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to the next level of success. Thanks for making us part of your professional development journey.